Welcome to It's Always Day One. My name is George Reed, a former Amazonian turned Amazon consultant. Each week on the podcast, you're going to hear industry experts, brand owners, and Amazon employees share their answers to the basic yet fundamental questions you should be asking yourself about your Amazon business. Now, let's jump in. Hello, today I'm very excited to bring another brilliant ex-Amazonian guest. Stefan has been a belter, a resume with 17 years spanning across an array of roles at Amazon, including Director of Seller Experience, Director of Seller Strategy, Director of Consumer Shopping Experience. Stefan, welcome to the show. Do you want to give us a quick 30-second intro? Have I got anything wrong there? Is that roughly right? Do you want to correct me and then we can get some questions? Sure. Well, thanks for having me on the show. It's great to be here. Uh, I, I enjoy podcasts, etc. Uh, it's not quite 17 years, and I think, but at Amazon, uh, you know, they a year at Amazon can feel like a a number of marathons. So uh, I think technically mm-hmm. the math works out to be just about 16 years uh, at Amazon. But um, and and while I ended at director, I got the chance to grow with the company a lot. So I, I started in a number of individual contributor roles. And then uh, grew into being able to manage and direct uh, different parts of uh, the Amazon business. Privilege. Yeah, and you're absolutely right there. I know, like, I've obviously been at Amazon, the girlfriend's still there, and she's approaching the six year mark. And, you know, you sit next to her each day, you can see like six years at Amazon feels like nine years in many other companies um, because you're suddenly, uh, there's no easy day, particularly, you know, today we're recording day after Cyber Monday. So it's obviously a um a spicy period of the year where you can see <laughs> amazonians running around um quite aggressively so when we were speaking a bit beforehand and building up to this you made a really interesting comment that i'd love to elaborate on you said you fought the 3p 1p fight could you explain a little <laughs> bit more about that i know what you mean but <laughs> going right to the juicy uh juicy fun stuff yeah i think there's uh I started Amazon and, and there was barely 3P. I started in 2003. And so everything Amazon sold, they sold as a retailer. Uh, and that was one of the early things that felt like a big decision, right? You know, Amazon's going to open up its detail pages to third-party sellers. Uh, and that that grew as much things that Amazon do is kind of in a different part that grew over in the merchant technology space. Uh, and there's so much that happens at Amazon. It's, it's hard to even track internally when you're working there what group is working on what. Uh, and, and what are they doing? Uh, so, you know, kind of it grown under the covers, you know, in 2009, third party seller business is roughly 25% of Amazon's overall sales orders, uh, shipments, whichever way you wanted to slice it. Uh, and you know, that starts to become a, a pretty substantive part of the business. Uh, and there wasn't complete understanding across the board, right? You know, how does that decision to share the detail page or to even have 3P on your site? work out into all the different spaces, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're making an OP1 plan, hey, you're just doing business as usual. That tends to think about Amazon, the retailer. Uh, well, you know, third-party sellers are a big deal, right? <laughs> if you want to grow selection, you might want to do that. Yeah. Uh, and, and then sometimes <laughs> you get new people to company. I think every every year I'd see an email out to, you know, one of the data warehouse lists. How do I find all the third-party sellers that I, I should bring on as a vendor? Uh, or some version yeah. of that. It's like, hey, quick profit test. You know, a third party business is, is, you know, is are you sure that's the best thing for customers and the best thing for profit? Let's double check, right? So there's always 
this, this understanding, kind of an increasing understanding of, of how a marketplace works. See, so, uh, you know, as much as I can probably go there. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's difficult. I think from my, from my experience when now I was on the seller side of the business and, um, my partner's on the, the one piece side of the business and a lot of friends are kind of in both camps. And what we used to often find, particularly being on three P was incredibly infuriating when you were like, this is the best decision for the brand to go with a three P business model. And then the vendors would come over and be like, no, 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 no. We've decided that we want them on 1P. I'm like, it's going to be really bad for them, though. It doesn't matter. We're putting them on 1P. And, you know, sometimes it was certainly a better decision. But um, what I felt, um, and speaking for, and as an external now, perhaps the, the customer obsession wasn't always there for the brand itself of are we making a decision of what's best for Amazon or are we making a decision of what's best for the brand? Did you ever feel that was the case when perhaps those lines were a little bit blurred? Well, I think the uh, we had a, a tenant. You know, I love tenants. Uh, it's one of the things I've carried post Amazon because I, I find them just helpful clarifiers for my clients or the business. Uh, how do we share, make our assumptions about our business explicit? So especially as you hire all these new people, how do you kind of quickly get them on board uh, and, and tenants uh, or quickly get them on board to how our business has been thinking about things and tenants really help do that. Uh, and in the, you know, three business or in different parts of Amazon business, you know, who is the Amazon's cut? Cu- who's Amazon customer? And it's like, well, sellers are a customer. Vendors are a customer. Content creators are a customer. Developers are a customer. Uh, so if you have to make a choice where you have to trade off customers, uh, I think that's hard. Uh, and so, you know, you could think of a tenant where the shopping cut, co- if we have to, if we're forced to make a trade off, you know, who should come first? Well, we'll make them in order of, we will prefer the shopping customer than the seller. And you can see how work out things like free reps or free replacements. Um, if a cus- shopping customer thinks they didn't get something or thinks they didn't get something in time, uh, or didn't get exactly what they ordered, Amazon may choose to apply a policy that you know the seller will have to live up to the Amazon standard for all customers overall. That can be hard for sellers because that's going to hit their, you know, this is a big marketplace and Amazon customers have a high standard. But making those trade-offs, you know, as you decide, like, you know, uh, should we bring them as a brand or vendor? Well, what's the best for the order of customers? You know, mm-hmm. if, a, if a seller can be in stock a bunch, they have low prices. Like that's what Amazon wants for all its customers: be in stock with low prices and have a great experience. I think, yeah, you're you're absolutely right there. Like it, in my mind, like when it comes to customer obsession, you're right. You can see the weighting is heavily towards that of the the end user of the product more so than the, the than the brand itself. Um, yeah. which, which is fine, but I think if you're a big if you're a big high street brand perhaps a lot easier to kind of get around that and go, we'll send another one. No worries. We'll take the hit. If you're a small up and coming brand, it can be a lot more difficult, I think, to, um, to kind of take and swallow that, um, which, which is why we see so many challenges, so many challenges today. Well, I think George, that's a, that's a key thing being said, you know, one of the things I found, I started in the vendor side of the business, right? I had a lot of vendor software responsibility, um, is where I started at Amazon, Uh, a lot of automated ordering. And then moved to the seller side of the business. And you had to quickly get shifted to when you're dealing with a vendor, that's probably a you know, couple dozen employees or could be a bigger brand. 
right? And they're generally functional specialists. You start working with sellers and you quickly find out that a lot of sellers are three, four, five, six person companies and they do yep. everything, right? And and margin and, and uh, uh, cost hits have a different impact on a seller uh, mm-hmm. than it does uh, when you're dealing with a vendor. And so you work that out of the corners, right? And say, hey, on one hand, you as a very small business get the opportunity to deliver to hundreds of millions of customers, but you now have to step up your performance level, right? Yeah. Uh, and we'll help you, but you still have to get there. And that's hard for some small sellers. Yeah. I think in some capacity, it's getting easier with the, the tools and the data that Amazon are, are making available to, to sellers and vendors. Admittedly, I'd say sellers have an easier gig with the, with the seller central platform than the vendor one. Um, so it is getting easier. It wasn't always um, that way. <laughs> yeah, well, it has incredibly dated on that vendor central platform, even today. Um, but if we think back to that customer obsession question, then, can you give an example of customer obsession in practice internally? We've given one there, but I'll be intrigued to kind of explore any others that you saw that kind of stand out where you're like, we nailed customer obsession here, or this is a great example of it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I working at Amazon was is just you know fantastic. I think you know recently somebody else posted some content and they were asking about lessons from from uh, Jeff Wilkie. Uh, I was working on the cold prickly program, right? And it's that feeling you get when you open up an email and say that order you you thought was going to arrive in time for Christmas, yeah, not going to happen, right? Uh, and I was working with someone else and they were presenting Jeff like we've really we're really set up to have an improvement of, of X bips and percentage points this year in cold pricklies. And Jeff just stopped and was like, look, every customer order that we, we make to customer, every customer promise we make to customers, if we don't deliver, that's a promise broken. And I don't care about the percents. It's every individual customer promise matters. Right. And so really you flesh that out when your senior leader says, Hey, you're about to have a bad Christmas for a town this big. Right. Mm. Amazon yeah. ships a lot of stuff. You know, if you were going to disappoint the entire town of Melbourne, Australia for Christmas, that's not great. Right. Uh, <laughs> individual customers matter. You know, and, and so seeing that, uh, I was always inspired by stories. You know, I worked early on again in Cold Prickly's in the very first part. Um, you know, just the links that Amazon went to, to, uh, you know, well, here's another example. Uh, you have one item and you have two, you accidentally took two customer orders for it for a race condition. You could yep. cancel the one item, right? And then you see the get the that you see the note, you know, from from Grandma Sally to her twin granddaughters. You know, hope you enjoy these dolls. Right? Do you cut the doll in <laughs> half? Do you ship one? Do you cancel all the orders? Like everybody with kids is going, oh, I don't want to deal with that. You know, or do you take you know a dozen people and say, please, everybody stop at a store on the way home and let's buy one if you find one, and we'll inject it in. Right. Love so you that. have this large company, you know, helping to make sure Grandma Sally, and I'm changing the names, uh, delivers uh, for her granddaughter. Right. Uh, and that's an opportunity to learn. Like, how did we end up in that situation? And I have a dozen of those kind of customer obsession stories, you know, but then on yeah. the seller side, you know, when we built tools for sellers, you know, you talk about Seller Central. There was a time when I joined in the marketplace team, Seller Central software was not great. I got a question mm-hmm. mark email. Uh, a lot of days in a row, my first 90 days, uh, question mark email from Jeff Bezos, uh, about selling <laughs> central software, uh, you know, in my first 90 days on the job being responsible for seller central. 
in order to do, it was only 2009, 2010, in order to do a return to a seller, you had to email the seller, right? Amazon 1P had these lovely little, just fill out the form, you get a refund and a return. Uh, but for all 3P stuff as well, email the seller, good luck, you know. So there was a hole that sellers had to get to, to get to 1P parity, <laughs> where sellers have the opportunity to, to, to be examples of the best experience on the platform. They can compete with 1P. Because mm -hmm. that was another thing you had to get yeah. assessed with sellers is, you know, sellers is not one group. There's a, a pretty big continuum of capabilities and, and learning. So you know, when we started building software and re writing and reading documents, the Amazon press release usually has quotes, um, you know, in their, their internal press release documents of how we're going to build. Uh, our senior leaders expected those quotes to be from real sellers, right? If you're going to build something for sellers, have you talked and called any sellers and asked them what they would think if we built something like this? right? Don't make those up. Call somebody, <laughs> call five of them, right? Uh, and that's a, that's a really, it, it helps pivot everyone to build software thinking about who they're building it for, right? Because you get some really, <laughs> you get some blunt answers sometimes. That's not a great idea. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for that. Hey folks, it's George here. I'd like you to check out my new site, georges.blog. It's where you can find all of my famous weekly emails as well as how we can work together. To repeat, that's georges.blog. Now, let's carry on with the episode. I think, yeah, that's, that's very true. And having been someone who has done that smile and dial to Amazon sellers over and over again, admittedly, sometimes I was pitching, sometimes I was... Um, I was aiming to kind of make their experience better. I think those those quotes are still heavily used heavily used today. I would like to kind of dig into for those who are unaware exactly what does it mean to get that question mark from uh, in, in your inbox. Are you, are you bricking it or are you thinking it's good <laughs> that I'm in this position to get a question mark from Big Jeff or what? Um, well. Uh... The first one I got, I didn't realize, I, I didn't know what it involved. I'd never got one of these before. I've been at Amazon for five years. I don't know what a question mark email was. And one of my colleagues is like, no, you need to, you need to stop what you're doing. Like, let me take you through how you answer this. This is going to change your day. Um, you might want to call your wife and tell her you're going to be home late tonight. <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, you know, I've come to actually like the question mark process. It is, I like it like a fire drill though. So mm -hmm. it's a lot of work and you end up a little smoky and maybe blue red later, but it, it focuses you. So you get this question mark in your email box, you know, where usually it's gone. Jeff got, uh, Jeff or Jeff's office got a question from a customer, about something that doesn't make sense or seller doesn't make sense. Um, or, and, and he'll, forward that typically. And so you'll, that may go to somebody who works for Jeff, a senior vice president and finally gets to you. Right. And you need to, uh, take a step back and go, I need to understand what is the customer impact? Is this special or normal variation? Like this is a, you know, really odd event or is this an example of, of a process? How, uh, why did a customer find it before we did? So are we missing, do I really understand the root cause of this? And I, and I also need to understand I'm a bit on a timer, right? You, you don't get forever to answer one of these. It's like, well, I'll get to this next month, 
Yeah, you uh, you probably. I tried to answer mine at least the first draft response uh, in about at least the first draft in about twenty four hours. Yeah. Um, and the same kind of cascading chain that it went through. Sometimes those people would want to make sure they saw your responses before it went back uh, went back to Jeff. Uh, I really like the the point you made there about. Why did the customer find it before we did? And I've certainly seen other examples of that at Amazon. What do you think listeners who are perhaps a brand themselves operating on the platform, which I know many listeners will be, what do you think they can learn from that thought process of why did the customer find it before we did? Yeah. Um, yeah, one is, is we have this notion of looking around corners. Um, and, and when you have a business like Amazon that, that grows really fast, um, you can just, you know, I have a bunch of kids. My wife and I have, have seven kids and amazing how fast some of the kids grow in growth spurts. Uh, my son's grown three inches in the last six months. <laughs> and it's like, how did he outgrow those genes so fast? You right? didn't look behind that corner. No, I you didn't look behind it. I didn't expect three inches of growth. Uh, you know, what's going on? He is 15. He's been sleeping a lot. Um, and so when you, when you, uh, every process you have, you it, it expects a certain level of, of business or a certain level. Um, and so if you can uh, look at things and go, when's the last time I tested my process to failure, right? Uh, do I know when it's going to break? Uh, if I was to triple my amount of shipments into FBA, do I know what's going to break? Um, if I was to, if my return rate was to spike, um, and so just setting up a cadence where you can start to look at, Hey, I'm depending on a certain set of assumptions for my business, for my fees. And, and if I was just to systematically uh, start testing those every week, just test one of, um, test one of my assumptions, even as a thought exercise in Excel or, mm-hmm. or Google docs, Google sheets, whatever. Um, so that I can start to anticipate a little bit because Amazon's probably growing faster than I was expecting. Right. Um, and so that's one of the things as you look at and go, uh, a lot of times with those question mark emails, what I would find is uh, we had outgrown a process or moved past a particular system standard performance. Those question mark emails are really useful because they keep everybody. If you know, your, your biggest leader is focused on every customer example, back to that very first thing, raw numbers matter. Like every customer interaction matters. And then it's your job to understand, is that a canary in the coal mine or was that, you know, it really was a a collection of unfortunate events. Um, We want to try to minimize those in the future. Um, But a lot of times they're canaries in the coal mine of, hey, the business has grown a lot. Um, The seller business is now more than half of of Amazon's overall business, right? Uh, That's great. Uh, So what breaks when that happened? Right. Yeah. And so I think give yourself the opportunity to get ahead of that. I think there's loads of sellers who are experiencing literally that, particularly with the last year that we've had or from yeah. March onwards where it's kind of gone, we don't buy in the shop anymore. Or we can't buy in the shop anymore. It's all gone online. How many brands and sellers, I know many examples where they've kind of gone, sales have spiked and we're out of stock. We're not going to be back in stock for this period of time or um, our performance is now a big issue because we're getting more returns because we're having to rush getting these things out quickly. All of these things would, you know, looking around the corners, it's, it's difficult because sometimes when we discussed earlier on, there's six people in the business 
they're all doing a bit of everything. They haven't necessarily got the opportunity to kind of step back for a minute and look at those little pieces, um, which I think makes it a little bit more challenging, right? Like you were, you were in that fortunate position or unfortunate when you got the question mark, but you're in a fortunate position, I imagine, where you could occasionally step back and go, okay, I can see if I tweak this lever or this dial, it's going to break this system over here. Is there any way or are there any processes or ideas that you could recommend for people to go, right, every six months, every three months, take a moment or get someone else to look at it or ask a colleague or get a mentor or anything like this where you can kind of go, this is what I would do if I was in your shoes and I perhaps didn't have loads of resources. Yeah. Well, I would do a couple things actually, even at Amazon, uh, that, that was key. Um, you know, if I did an operations review, uh, I would try to invite two or three peers and say, you know what? I have blind spots. My team is doing this review and presenting it to me. Um, I'd like another person to be in the room, uh, to help train my team, right? They're going to see things that I don't see. And it's not like they're all of a sudden presenting to my boss, right? They're just bringing, it's almost like a peer review, right? And I might Mm -hmm. do that one out of every two or three times, uh, Mm -hmm. where I bring in a different audience, um, because you're going to get a different set of questions, right? So, you know, you can bring in a partner, you can bring in, uh, you know, another seller from your network, you know, and go, Hey, my team is doing a review. Uh, I'd love your opinion, uh, on, on this. Just give it to me. I'd love you to see this person. So sometimes I might be setting someone up for development, trying to help them get promoted. Uh, and so I'd like you to see how this person presents and help me come up with any feedback I can give them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's that benefit, your own idea of expanding the audience you present. The second tip I would say is, is making sure you're, you're drilling on something. So one of the things I found was uh, as we got our systems uh, more functional, we were getting less question mark emails uh, from Jeff uh, and less fire drills. But when we did get one, it had been a couple months and I realized that there was only a couple people on my team who'd ever written one before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were on vacation. So, <laughs> Good. Right? Good stuff. so uh, you know, Amazon also has, you know, specific training for, for event call leaders, right? When, when a sub one event goes on, you have to have a special qualification or special training uh, to be, you know, the, the person in charge who's coordinating the response to that event. And so uh, don't wait for something kind of bad in your business to happen to make sure your team is prepared uh, for, uh, you know, I I think I wouldn't call it catastrophe, but for disruption, right? Um, I still had to stop my day, call my wife, and it's not always a a pleasant thing. (laughs) You know, sorry, honey. Yeah, Um, I'll see you you tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, my wife is very understanding and it's wonderful, but, um, you know, it's uh, it's still disruptive. Uh, And so making sure you have enough people so that you can kind of, number of sellers I, I've worked with over time and even small businesses has nothing to do with sellers. Uh, but you're right. The size of the business, there's a, a balance of how much time you spend operating your business. And there's very little time left over for kind of building or, or tuning your business. Mm-hmm. And so helping some people find a way of like, you know, how do you at least spend 10 to 15% of your time on tuning your business 
or, or building your business, which is a different kind of thought activity or maybe some activities than, than just kind of operating your business. So yeah. Step. And we, what well, I sit a lot inside kind of our Amazon Academy with many kind of solopreneurs, inverted commas, um, facing those issues. And even if it comes down to what I'm trying to build out at the moment is people struggling with virtual assistants and even just getting mm-hmm. something like that, which can support your business massively is quite a hefty task in itself. Um, so I'm now going through the process of interviewing for them in order to provide a better service. Yeah. And even when interviewing it, so the, the partners, she's done hundreds of interviews for Amazon over the last few months. And I've listened to a lot of the questions, so I'm replicating it. But now what I've decided doing, because I'm not an expert at interviewing people, I've never really done much of it. So now what I've been doing is interviewing these people without the headphones on. So she can kind of listen to the responses and then just kind of go, well, actually, I sense this or text me a question about follow up on this just because perhaps as a business owner, you're going to miss something. So the same point applies getting two to three peers in that could be a partner that could be um, someone else in the office that could be whatever. And you can apply that to anything, right? It can apply it to hiring or you could apply it to looking at an operational setup, right? Absolutely. One of the most valuable things uh, that, that I appreciated at Amazon, one of the more valuable things is, you know, some of the guests you've had in, on, on your show or others, I could just even sometimes even need to have them in the room uh, because the way Amazon's organized a lot of smaller groups. I can learn a lot just by how other people are running their, their business. Right. Mm-hmm. So having that easy visibility and with the sellers, like they can, it's not as easy to have the visibility to, how other people are doing their business. And so it can feel isolating or like you have to invent it. Um, so mm-hmm. finding ways to get visibility to how other people are solving the same problem to learn some best practices and then, you know, find some good standards uh, is, is a, uh, you know, finding ways to do those three things is, is helpful. Mm. No, some good points, some good points. Now I want to pivot slightly to the days when you were the director of consumer shopping experience. This wraps up the first part of the episode with Stefan. Ensure you subscribe to the show in order to be notified about part number two next week. We're going to be digging into Amazon's algorithm, improving that customer experience, and also I introduce our new speed round. In the interim, if you want a daily feed of the best content on Amazon, go visit launchbotacademy.com forward slash Amazon hyphen creatives. That's launchbotacademy.com forward slash Amazon hyphen creatives. I think you're going to really enjoy it. I'm stuffing all of the top Amazon creative content that I'm seeing at the moment across all the different mediums into one place for you. So go check it out and look forward to seeing you next week. Cheers. Hey guys, just a quick one. If you are enjoying the podcast and either have some actionable next steps or new ideas, I'd really appreciate if you could, one, subscribe to the show and leave us a review. These are really, really important to us, as you probably know, being in the Amazon world. And two, if you're looking for additional support with your brand, head over to the website, itsalwaysday1.co.uk, where we've got links to other resources. That's all for now, guys. Speak soon.